0: Welcome back. It's Husker Sports Weekly, your soon-to-be number one source for all things Husker Sports. Episode 30 for you today, as we have to tackle a lot of topics here as Nebraska's men's basketball team has finally returned to the hardwood. We will react to their first couple of games that they played this past week. We will also touch on John Cook's squad as they cleaned up against Maryland in the home opener this weekend on the volleyball court. And we will talk about what is the next step forward for the Husker football program as both signing days have now come and gone. But before we get into any of that... You should know who you're listening to. My name is Connor Clark, along with Grant Hanson. As always, don't forget to follow our Twitter account at Cornhusker Media for announcements about new episodes of Husker Sports Weekly, as well as new articles that are coming out about high school sports around Nebraska, Nebraska athletics, and the Big Ten Conference. And you can also find our show on Spotify and Anchor.fm. Just search Husker Sports Weekly in the search bar. So let's get going here on episode number 30. First topic on the agenda today. Nebraska ball is finally back at least on the men's side after about a month away from team activities due to COVID uh Fred Hoiberg and company have lost two straight coming out of the break they lost to Michigan State last Saturday by a score of 66 to 56 and they lost to Minnesota this past Monday by a score of 79 to 61 both of those games were on the road Teddy Allen was out against Minnesota for failing to meet team expectations that was a Pre-game decision made by Fred Hoiberg and the offense is the story. It continues to struggle. Um, and uh, there are not a lot of bright spots on the offensive side of the ball for the men's basketball squad. So Grant, what are your initial
1: reactions about these first two games back? Well, I mean, coach Hoiberg said it was going to be ugly. And so I'm not like a hundred percent sure where our fan expectations were <laughs> on that one. Uh, because, it was ugly. It was, I mean, it was, as, it was as advertised. Again, we talked about it last week with Chris Bazant. Um, you know, you've got this situation here where you're basically coming off, a, you're coming off a month break. It's high school, uh, winter moratorium on roids. And, you know, the, it, the team looked like it. it, it just turnovers, um, undisciplined offensively, a lot of issues with, just making poor choices, which, which in a lot of ways has been, uh, you know, just the story of the team all year. Um, again, it, it's kind of like it's kind of just about par for the course. They're at this point four and ten, uh, and they don't have a win in the conference. They were close against Indiana, and then you lose all those games in the middle, which really stink. Of course, th- three of the four were against ranked teams, uh, which you're going to be making up now coming down the line here and now you go into a stretch where you play Wisconsin and Illinois back-to-back it's it's gonna be rough and again they shot on on uh, Monday night and a 79 to 61 loss to to Minnesota you know they shot a brutal 36 percent now Minnesota didn't shoot much better at 37 but they still managed to score 79 points and and I think the thing with Nebraska offensively that I've really come into is that they struggle to make shots. Period, and they struggle offensively in just about every way imaginable. Uh, and then on the defensive side of the ball, a lot of shots just happen to go in for for whoever they're playing. I mean, it really just feels like whoever we're playing is just going to have a great night against us. And I think part of that is, is that a lot of basketball is confidence, especially when it comes to shooters. Uh, but At that point there, where you're bad offensively and you're bad defensively, there's not a whole lot of positives to pull out of the game after that. Uh, And, again, I I just don't see it changing anytime soon. Coach Horberg showing a lot of frustration the other night, and obviously you can see why.
0: Yeah, just to kind of go down the line here. Well, just to give Minnesota credit, too, to start off the game, they were hot from three. I mean, they couldn't miss from anywhere, which was ridiculous. They eventually cooled off. The reason why their shooting percentage was so close to Nebraska is that they took almost 15 more shots than Nebraska did. They went 27 of 72 from the field. Meanwhile, Nebraska went 21 of 57 from the field. As Grant said, they shot a mere 36.8% from the field, which isn't going to get it done. They didn't have a point outside of the paint in the first half. The only other points coming from the charity stripe. Nebraska shot 3 of 15 from the three point line all three of those came from lat mayan um, which you got to get more guys involved that's good enough for 20 percent and they shot 16 of 25 from the line that's good enough for 64 percent so right around the team average on the year but i mean if you're going to win games in this really good conference i may add nebraska had 18 turnovers the other night against minnesota as well that's not going to be a recipe for success when you're playing in the best conference in college basketball maybe even ever uh, so in Minnesota, give them credit too. I mean, they were kind of desperate for a win. They needed that win to try and keep themselves into the NCAA tournament talks. They're now 12 and seven, five and seven in conference. So that was a big win for them. Um, I will say, I was it was surprising that Nebraska was able to to get back into the game at some points. I did like the zone switch up, and I know we talked about this earlier, but. I like the zone switch up coming out of halftime. It it forced Minnesota to do some things they weren't used to doing on offense, caused some confusion. And then it caused an eight plus minute drought that Minnesota had, which is something that Nebraska is very used to having um, during these games, which got them to, I believe it was eight, eight or seven points. And then Shamil Stevenson missed a dunk, which would have cut it to, I believe six points, uh, which, which was kind of the, the beginning of the end for for Nebraska in that game. So, I mean, you got to give credit to Minnesota. They came out and played well. Marcus Carr had a phenomenal game. He finished with 21 points and eight assists. Um, even in foul trouble, he finished with four fouls on the game, and he still did that. And I believe it was like only 19 minutes, which was unbelievable. So, Nebraska's got a lot of a lot of kinks to work out. They have a, a very tough schedule here in the next just two days. We're recording this on February 10th, so Wednesday. So they play Mich or not Michigan? Excuse me. Uh, they play Wisconsin. Uh, tonight at 8:30 at Pinnacle Bank Arena and then they follow that up with a game against Illinois on Friday so the sixth best team in the country so two ranked teams um and Illinois I mean watching them this this past weekend play against Wisconsin I they're mean wow they're red hot wow. they, red they hot. looked really good the I- IO Desumo and Kofi Coburn look unstoppable right now it's going to be scary watching them come tournament time
1: yeah I mean and, and again if you were to look at one thing and maybe is a bright side you know, you still managed to score 61 points, uh, which isn't, you know, c- which considering your shooting percentage and your generally horrific stats on the offensive side of the ball, you wouldn't think you would have scored 61. Granted, you gave up 79, and, and again, you look in that first, I mean, the problem is, game in Minnesota against Minnesota, the first half was just so bad. They were just so far behind the eight ball in every aspect going into the second half that even when they started to cut back into the game, and I think the closest they got that lead down to was nine, they just couldn't overcome it uh, because considering, again, how bad the first half was for them, they basically had to play a perfect second half. Uh, and, and for a team that is just so inexperienced in playing together, I just you just can't get it done. And again, like again and again, you came up against guys who were just uh, – I think the way I would describe it, and I described it to you earlier, was that they just kind of look like they get bored offensively where it's just like, all right, well – throw it around a few times, and let's uh, just throw a shot up and go play defense. Uh, whether it's a three or if it's a wild drive to the basket, whatever it is. And I think some of that comes from all these guys, with the exception of maybe Trey McGowan's and Stevenson at Pittsburgh, were all number one guys at these lower levels, where they score 30 to 40 points a game, and they can get away with basically just kind of driving recklessly to the hoop and because they're much so much bigger than everyone else they will either score or maybe they get bailed out whatever it's just not going to work here and and so i think you know the the program experienced a lot of that last year as well uh the problem is all the got all the guys up and left and so you're kind of just doing the same thing again and maybe they'll figure it out by the time or maybe they'll stick around who knows uh, but it it's it it's just not it's not a good situation offensively and again I I think a lot of it is just not being prepared to play at the division one level where some of that stuff just doesn't work
0: well yeah and a a big help for for Hoiberg hopefully next year is that I I would like to see like 80 percent of the roster stay I think that would help out coach Hoiberg a lot so he can really kind of break in this group of guys and I mean this hasn't been easy I mean it's he's doing the whole new group thing again and then a month of it gets eliminated by COVID and stuff. Um, I did listen to Fred Hoiberg's press conference after the Minnesota game, and he was talking about how uh, Shamil Stevenson was one of those guys who didn't have to quarantine. He didn't get the virus, so he had a lot of time to work um, on his shot in the offensive side. And he he did have some careless plays, I will say that, but, I mean, he had a solid first half. I liked some things that he was doing. He had a a couple of big offensive rebounds. He was able to put the ball in the hoop. Um, So... Hopefully he starts to kind of break out of a shell here. He's been kind of, oh, he, as you said, he came from Pitt uh, with Trey McGowan. So he's a power five guy. The ACC is a good conference, so he should know how to play in these in these situations. But I completely agree. I mean, a lot of these guys are coming from smaller schools. I mean, you look at Teddy Allen. Like, like he was good at West Virginia when he was right. there for his one season, but then he went to, to junior college or community college and averaged 31 a game. Like, well, no, duh, he's going to average 31 a game. He's a lot better than all of them. Same thing with Kobe Webster. He played at Western Illinois, which uh, th- their conference is blanking to me right now. But I mean, you're you're it's it's the Big Ten conference. I mean, there's there are good big men on every single team in this conference. Not just to, like to name a few, uh, you, you Kofi Coburn. You're going against him this Friday. Wisconsin's got a couple of good big dudes inside. They also have Matt Davidson who can defend well on the outside. So there's no nights off in this conference and these guys really need to learn how to play in this conference and hopefully next year's recruiting class will work out well as to, um, obviously we have Bryce McGowan's coming in the first five-star in program history. So hopefully we can kind of keep a good nucleus around him. I know we've talked about how just we're kind of almost game planning for next year to kind of center the offense around him. Um, I also really like the commitment from, um, Mater Day, which, oh, the, I'm forgetting his name right now, but I'm going to look it up. But, um, I, I, I think there, there, there is a bright future. It's just a matter of these guys just learning how to play in the big 10.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And again, like you could sense the frustration from, from Hoiberg and, and, and so you feel bad for him (laughs) in a lot of ways, because I don't think he's used to experiencing this. Like you know, with the Bulls, he had he uh, he was kind of mixed with the Bulls. Yeah, he, he had some ups and he had some downs. And at Iowa State, majority ups. And here it's been majority downs. And it's through two years, and maybe they'll break through next year. But it's it's a double symptom here of having a very very tough conference, and a relatively pro- young program, and, and ex- certainly inexperienced at this level program uh, that. You know, this it's just been losing forever. I mean that 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 is a hard, hard thing to change and certainly can't be done overnight.
0: Right. And I I mean, personally I'm gonna keep Boyberg on a very long leash. Wilhelm Breidenbach, there that's you go. that's his name. I love the rec specs that he wears too. I I'm looking forward to him. He's a six yeah, nine like center. Too. So he'll add a little bit of size along with six six Bryce McGallens. Um, but yeah, I mean turning turning a program like Nebraska basketball you can't even say around because it's never been there before. So like just, just making it good is, is going to be a really tall task. And luckily expectations unlike on the football side of things with frost, luckily for Hoiberg, the expectations aren't as cutthroat with, right. with frost. And he's going to get a little bit of a longer leash. And he's had two groups in two years that are totally different. So hopefully Hoiberg can, can turn it around. And I mean, I personally really like uh, coach Fred Hoiberg. I think uh, obviously he was good at Iowa State he had some bright moments on the Bulls as you mentioned he did make the playoffs um, I do think his offense is a little too much NBA style for the college game which could take a couple of, of changes but maybe maybe having Bryce McGowan's in the lineup next year will help out with right that
1: well. I think a sim I think an issue with that and I think there's some fans you notice that too, I I think part of that st- stems from not just he just doesn't have NBA talent on the team right now. Well, oh, right, right, and so you know next year you're going to have at least one guy who's capable of playing there, uh, and and so we'll see how that changes uh, throughout throughout Coach Hoiberg's time here. Uh, I, again, I, I I still do keep coming back to the p- point too where it's just like he just doesn't have the pieces to do this, and and do it successfully. Well. I mean,
0: looking at the recruiting class for next year, according to 24-7 Sports, it's nationally ranked 24th in the country, which is actually pretty good. Third in the Big Ten, which is very good, considering as we've talked about all year how good this conference is. The only two teams above them are Michigan and Michigan State. So that that's interesting to look out for. So hopefully Fred Hoiberg will have some pretty good uh, talent coming through the door next year. So we'll move on from... I guess the somewhat depressing topic of Nebraska men's basketball to a, a very a very happy topic, one that everybody wants to talk about. The fourth-ranked Nebraska Cornhuskers took the volleyball court this past weekend and took care of business against Maryland. Um, I'll just state this right now. I'm not a huge volleyball guy. I'm still getting into that world. Grant called the Saturday game for KRNU Radio, and so... He, that, that I'll, I'll leave it up to you mostly for this, for this recap, but, uh, just, just to kind of go over a little bit, Nebraska won on Friday, three to one, and then on Saturday, three to nothing. So, uh, they won pretty handily both nights.
1: Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of interesting pieces in there. Uh, but you know, both good and bad to look at in that Maryland series. Of course, Maryland, a lot of people look at it and say, okay, Nebraska never lost to them ever, uh, in program history. You know, you look at their volleyball team and you say, "Oh my God, they haven't won a you know they haven't won a match this year." Nebraska, excuse me, dropped a set to them, and oh boy, the sky is falling. Well, in a lot of ways, Maryland is is really kind of kind of an up and coming team that's just really really struggling to break through. Uh, again, a program that's kind of used to losing. You had Steve Aird, who was the head coach there for a while. Had things trending in the positive direction, then all of a sudden he just kind of uproots and goes to Indiana. And that kind of caught the, caught the Big Ten by storm when he decided to do that. And then they bring in another guy, and now uh, Coach Hughes, who's there now, uh, who is very aired esque and has recruited well for them. And so they're kind of a future power, not so much a present one. And uh, so that, that was a really interesting series. Again, you drop one set on Friday. Man, you, you open Saturday night, and you start off red hot. I mean, you're coming off a fantastic performance from Lauren Stiverance, who, of course, Husker fans know very well. Shot, or I'm sorry, hit 850 on Friday night, which is just insane. I mean, that is just absolutely unheard of. 18 kills for her. And so you kind of expect her to have a big night Saturday as well. And in a lot of ways, she didn't. And people, I think, could could see that as a negative, and I really don't. Uh, she had nine kills, I believe, in the game against Maryland on Saturday. And for three sets, that's not exactly a bad thing. Uh, Lexi Sun was right there. I think actually it was, I think it might have been Lexi Sun, Kayla Caffey, who's a really interesting piece there at that middle two spot from Missouri who transferred this year. Uh, and Lawrence Difference all had eight kills apiece, I think. Uh, but the real story and the thing that I think is probably the most interesting for the future and the success of this team later down the year uh, was the back-and-forth battle between Riley Zune and Maddie Kubik to lead the team in kills. I think, I believe, Kubik ended up doing it that night. Yes. Uh, with, I think it was 16?
0: Um, no, Kubik 12. Had 12 and 11. Zune had 11. Right. In- Uh, Kayla Caffey at eight.
1: That was really interesting because I think a lot, again, another thing too, right? Like Husker fans really know the name Jazz Sweet at that right side spot. Um, Partially because it's unique and partially because she's been a big part of the program for the last couple of years. And now you come into this year and she's just nowhere to be found. She isn't playing and people are wondering why. And I think Riley Zune really proved why she is in that right side number one spot. Uh, on Saturday night and she had a very 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 solid performance again 11 kills going back and forth with Maddie Kubik all night uh and again we'll see if she's st- <laughs> the thing is we don't know if she's gonna play against Rutgers on Saturday we don't know because it's a week-to-week battle between her and Jazz Sweet whoever performs better in practice is gonna get the playing time on the weekend uh and you would think that she'd put herself ahead but we don't know for sure so that that was probably my biggest thing. 278 is what the Huskers are hitting for the year. You want to be hitting about 300. I think if you're hitting 300 for your, each of your matches, uh, which is, by the way, your hitting percentage is uh, kills minus errors over attempts is how you calculate that. Uh, again, if you're hitting that 300 mark, you're going to be doing well. But, again, another chance this week against Rutgers, a team that's also really struggling, 1-5, uh, 5 you're on the road. You get a chance, though, in Piscataway to really kind of still figure out who you are as a team and try to iron out some of the kinks. Because again, those last two sets against Maryland, uh, you struggle a lot, uh, especially in the second set. You didn't you didn't take care of business as well as you would have liked there. And then the third set, you started out just like the first, really really strong, and then closed like the second. And so, again, just another chance to kind of figure yourself out uh, before you play. Probably the deci- de- defining match series of the season in back to back weeks against Minnesota uh, next week, and then following it up with Wisconsin in the week after, uh, who is undisputed number one in the country. So, both those games against Rutgers start at 3 o'clock, which is kind of a weird start time, uh, but we'll see how that goes in Biscataway.
0: Yeah, just a little bit of a rundown here for the volleyball standings in the Big Ten. Minnesota, Wisconsin are deadlocked in a tie for first. They both are 6 and 0 and the regular record is the same as the conference record this year. Uh Nebraska in third as well as or as well as Ohio State, both 4-0. Northwestern and Penn State both 2-0. Illinois, Indiana, Purdue all 2 and 4. Iowa 1 and 5, Rutgers 1 and 5. Michigan hasn't even played a game yet. Michigan State 0 and 4 and Maryland 0 and 6. So it's kind of those those top 6 teams there that are that are really there, but I, and then you then you take Wisconsin into account there and how good they are, um, as you said, the undisputed number one. I'll put it in my terms, basically the Gonzaga of volleyball this year, probably.
1: Yeah. Um, well, so it's gonna be hard to beat. Them. And then you know, Coach Cook talked in his press conference this week. A couple of things to really think about. Of course, Nebraska likely will qualify for the NCAA tournament. It would be a huge travesty if they did not. Uh, but th- that's going to be really something that's going to be very, very interesting to watch, too, because in Omaha, they're running out of, of course, uh, they'll be running out of the uh, <clears throat> CenturyLink, or I think now it's CHI. That the Chi Health Center. That place changes names. Like, <laughs> it feels like every two years. Uh, but they'll be running out of CHI as well as a convention center. And so that was something that Coach John Cook was really, really interested in talking about in that he really hopes the NCAA takes care of things by effectively making hey, we don't want sport court club volleyball kind of floors for this for the teams that are playing in the convention center. You know, we want actual hardwood. We are trying to set up like basically mini arenas in there to play from. So that 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 thing's gonna be really interesting as well, because how do you accommodate forty eight teams? You're gonna be playing sixteen matches at once uh, or sixteen matches throughout the day during some of those tournament the early tournament rounds. So that that's another thing to watch too. Again, glad, of course, that Omaha is hosting it. They're going to do a really good job with it. But how logistically do you set some of those things up? That's going to be really big to watch.
0: I mean, I couldn't have said it any better myself here. But, yeah, Nebraska volleyball doing pretty well. Um, As Grant said, they can really kind of find their their true identity here um, next weekend. And then two great opponents in Minnesota and Wisconsin coming up in the two weeks after that. So, We'll move on to our, our final scheduled topic, at least. We can go beyond that if if we want to. Um, but the final signing day has come and gone. Nebraska football with their final recruiting class for the 2021 year. Early enrollees are in Lincoln. They have gotten to work with the rest of the team despite all of the, the COVID stuff. And we can move on from all the transfer stuff and Hopefully, we can, we can uh, make a step forward here. So, just a couple of, of overall stats about this recruiting class. since ranked 20th nationally, 5th in the Big Ten. And when I was looking at these rankings, actually, it was very interesting to me. But Maryland is at number 4 in the Big Ten. They have 1 5-star and 4 4-stars. Nebraska is 4 4-stars and 16 3-stars, which is good enough for the 5th spot. But, obviously... I mean, you know, you know the guys, Thomas Fedoni. Um, I'm not even gonna Wyndon Hohuli from uh, Hawaii. That was a big get for uh, yeah, this Nebraska big... defense. Forgive me if I said that wrong, but I mean, th- this is a pretty good, a pretty good uh, recruiting class. Lots of local kids, which is which is big. Obviously, a lot of people were disappointed to see Avante Dickerson go to Oregon over this past couple of weeks, but it was also kind of expected. But Overall, I think uh this this recruiting class is is good enough to well, I, I say I hope so, but to make that next step forward, give the young guys a chance. We also have transfers like Oliver Martin from Iowa, who's a four star wide receiver, Marquis Step from USC, who's a four star running back, Samari Toure from uh Montana. He's a he was originally a two star receiver, but he tore it up at Montana. He was really good. So Hopefully, these younger guys and these transfers can can fill these spots. And uh, once again, I, I said it last year. I'm going to say it again, but I, I I'm pretty high on this recruiting class.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we kind of keep coming to the to the same point. I think over and over, um, you know, you've got a program that consistently recruits inside the top 20. Coach Frost has done that all four years. He's consistently recruited in the top half of the Big Ten, and yet the results have not yet arrived. And so, I think that that is like, I mean, you, you have, like, and again, you have good pieces. Like, Teddy Perhoshka, at the very least, on the line, should make a relatively significant impact. Thomas Fedoni should certainly make impact almost immediately. Uh, and so, again, like, uh, this, this really, to me, is the year where the rubber meets the road for Scott Frost. Uh, and... At this point, you've had several recruiting classes that are yours. Now, now you're hiring extra pieces. Excuse me, uh, Bill Bush, defensive analyst. Interestingly enough, like they they bring on three guys this this week to coach, uh, but they're not official assistant coaches. They're just termed analysts. Um, that thing's really interesting too. You're putting. I mean, you're certainly adding new pieces in there. Again, rubber meets the road. Let's see what we can do with, with these guys. There's certainly enough talent to compete in the Big Ten, and I think for the most part, Husker fans would settle with competition. Uh, but again, you've recruited inside the top 20 over and over and over. Time to start finishing there.
0: I couldn't agree more. I mean, there's it is just so intriguing to me what the drop-off is between the, the recruiting and <laughs> the, the product on the field. So, I mean, I'll give... Scott Frost deserves all the credit in the world when it comes to recruiting. I mean, he does a phenomenal job. He gets these local guys. He keeps them there. And that eliminates, really, a future transfer opportunity, too, because a lot of these kids are transferring to go back to where they came from. So th- that's important to keep all these local guys close. You That, that gives you a little extra sense of security. Um, but I agree. I, I expect Fedoni to make an immediate impact. Um, we see guys like James Carney uh, Heinrich Harburg, who's a local QB um he's 65 I mentioned the transfers earlier I have watched film on Marquis Step and Samari Toure so far and I like both of them very much Samari Toure is a great route runner he's fast he's very fast he's 60 he's, he's not the biggest guy 6 foot 172 but he is quick if he gets out in space you better watch out cuz he's getting the ball Um, Well, at least at Montana he got the ball. Let's hope he gets the ball here. But lots of potential coming out of this transfer class and this recruiting class. Um, Oliver Martin, I believe this is his third Big Ten
1: stop. Yeah, (laughs) well, he caught a pass for Nebraska against Iowa, which would be, I believe, the first player in the Big Ten to catch a pass against – I'm trying to remember if it was exactly against his former school or if he had caught a pass for four different Big Ten teams. Uh, which I believe that is the record. I think he holds one, if not both of those.
0: I mean, I would hope that's some sort of record.
1: <laughs> uh, but I, it's interesting. It, again, it always is interesting. We always kind of – we've been, like, sitting here forever on, like, the whole, like – There's a lot of potential. <laughs> there's, there's, a lot of poten- there's a lot of potential We're drinking here. the Kool-Aid, ladies and gentlemen. I, I, but, again, like, I'm just not letting myself get too excited – because there's really not that much see, to get too excited see, about until you, you, it happens. You
0: say, you say that now; it's only February. Just, I know. just Just wait until the summer months roll around.
1: I know. Just I know. Wait. I mean, there's a chance, right? Like, there's a chance here to basically be reborn from the ashes, burn burn the old away, burn the bridges, um, and, and and see what comes about this year. It's going to be really interesting, uh, but again, like I said, not not setting my hopes too high. And hopefully they are far, far exceeded.
0: Well, even if Nebraska isn't going to be like great next year, I mean, there's still probably going to be a lot to be excited about going into the next football season, just kind of with life in general about like the vaccine getting rolled out, hopefully quicker um, people being able to go and watch and downtown Lincoln kind of being that hub on Saturdays. Once again, after this year, it was like almost like a ghost town, at least around the stadium because nobody was allowed there. But uh, hopefully there will be a lot to, to look forward with that as well. But, yeah, I mean, hopefully the younger guys can kind of step up, fill that spot, build a foundation um, to, to what this team could be because every every great team needs a foundation here. Um, that's really the only way that this uh, team is really going to take that next step. So, um, I mean, I, I don't know what else to say about the football team. I feel like we've been kind of repeating ourselves for the past – however many months we've been talking about them. Um, but I figured it would be be kind of interesting to round out the episode with one final thing, and I know this wasn't very planned for us with, with Grant and I, but it is, it is college basketball season. There are teams outside of Nebraska, and the tournament is only a handful of weeks away, so I thought we could uh, look at a couple of uh, a bracketology. I've got Joe Linardi's bracketology pulled up at least um
1: is in front of me as well
0: the big 10 according to joe last week it was 10 big 10 teams this week it is nine indiana is in the last four buys um penn state is in the first four out i'm sure that will change after last night this is as of february 9th 2021 penn state lost to michigan state last night so they are two games below 500 now uh, maryland is in the next four out so lots of big 10 teams here two big 10 teams take up the uh, take up half of the number one spots in the tournament, which are the biggest rivals in Michigan and Ohio State, which is pretty interesting. Uh, so a lot lots going on here. This should be a fun tournament. Hopefully it'll live up to the hype that it was getting last year. I mean that's right. really disappointing.
1: Yeah, I think as I scan the uh, the bracketology here with Lenardi, you got Iowa at a four, uh Purdue's a five. Uh which is you've interesting got interesting to me. You've got Creighton at six. It was a six seed. Uh, let's see what else here. Alabama's a two. Like, if I'm looking at this, I think teams I don't want to touch, like, at all Iowa at the four, a, a five seeded Purdue, and a six seeded Creighton. If Creighton, it, it, Creighton's more contingent on if Creighton can figure themselves out, play more like they did at the beginning of the year. If Creighton figures themselves out, I don't want to see him at six. Uh, I think Alabama at a two. If Alabama's a 2 seed, that's that's an upset watch, I think probably um throughout the majority of the tournament. Um but I I think some of the Big 10 teams in terms of their positioning are very 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 intriguing. Wisconsin at a 5 as well. Uh that one's just that one's pretty interesting. Kansas at a 6. Does that was that one upset territory? Um yes. That's kind of what I think too. Absolutely. Kansas hasn't been themselves this year. So a lot of really really interesting interesting things. And again, does it help Iowa to be a 4 instead of a higher seed? Uh you know, probably. Well, I I kind of think it does. I think the same is true for Purdue. Um so a lot of interesting things in here. Still a long way to go. Still a long long way to go. Uh but I really can't wait for this tournament. Michigan's a one in one of these uh I mean they're not
0: really good.
1: They look good. I don't know if I foresee that staying uh but really, really, really interesting looks throughout the entirety of this tournament. I think it's gonna be very, very interesting. And again, no blue bloods for the most part. Uh and then again it like every time I look over these matchups and I think they're fantastic, and then I come back to the same same burning question, which is Gonzaga or the field, and then my optimism shrinks slightly. I mean
0: I I know it's like gonzaga versus everyone and like they're just gonna kill everyone but i i i want to pick the field and i i just i don't think they're gonna win i don't know why it's just no you're right there's something there
1: well it's like the undefeated kentucky team from years ago that you just knew you just knew they weren't gonna get it done uh and and i think i kind of feel the same way about gonzaga um but also drake in there at an 11 that one's really interesting too
0: yeah, they unfortunately lost the other day. I was really hoping they would finish the season undefeated. That would have been pretty cool. But, yeah, I mean, it's 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 just something about the tournament. Like, the year, the year Gonzaga made the final. They almost got knocked out in the second round by Northwestern. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of good teams that are on upset watch. That same year, Villanova, who was a one seed, got upset by Wisconsin, who was an 8 seed, who was tremendously underseeded that year, may I add. But I think Wisconsin at a 5 seed certainly helps them. Um, they get to face, as of right now, Oregon or VCU in the play-in game. Um, I do agree with with Iowa being a four seed that helps them a lot. the The thing about Iowa and this is how they're going to move deep into the tournament. If they make their threes, they have to make their threes. If they don't, that's their weakness. The thing about them and the comparison with them in Illinois is, even if Illinois isn't hot from three, like they they have other ways of scoring. Coburn obviously is an enormous present presence under the room, seven feet, basically 300 pounds. I would assume who can get his way to the room any way he wants. And they have good, they have good surrounding pieces as well. So it's hard to find a weakness about Illinois, um, verse you can find a weakness about Iowa. Now, Iowa, will they go for I uh, probably like a sweet 16, elite eight, maybe. Um, but Seeing two two of the four one seeds be Big Ten teams is pretty pretty cool. Um, if uh, Creighton decides to start figuring themselves out, I mean, I I, st- I right now I think six is kind of, I think they should be seven or eight. No, Am I I, wrong I, I for mean I think
1: six, I think six is where they should be. Uh, the loss to Georgetown is just inexcusable. Like <laughs> like I, they've got some losses on there that are just like oh my gosh.
0: Well, yeah, the loss to Georgetown. Uh, they kept it close with a couple of teams they probably shouldn't have had. Um, right.
1: Also, kept it close with DePaul, underrated Wofford, the Terriers sneaked their way back in at thirteen in this week's bracketology edition. Oh. Uh, Fletcher Wofford, McGee's alma mater. Wofford was was my, uh, back. I think what twenty nineteen was the last tournament. Yeah, we skipped last year. Wofford, uh Wofford was my team back then. <laughs> my patented upset team. LSU intriguing at ten too. By the way. Right. Yeah, Creighton has got,
0: just kind of looking back at their schedule, they lost to Butler, which is not a good loss. Lost to Providence, which is okay. Um, Barely beat Providence their first meeting. Uh, As you said, they've lost to Georgetown earlier this year. They just beat them last night.
1: Yeah, I think think the the spanking they put on Georgetown last night kind of helps them. Their remaining
0: schedule is Villanova. We'll see if that game happens. Villanova's been canceling some games. Uh, then they host Paul on February 24th. They go to Xavier February 27th. They go to Villanova on March 3rd. And then they host Butler to round out the season on March 6th. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how Creighton uh, kind of figures themselves out. The other local team that has a chance to make the tournament, actually. So um, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Just kind of going down the list here as well. Um, Arkansas at a 9 seed. There's to me they're surprisingly good they're 16 and 4 now 7 and 4 in the sec which is a proven to be a pretty good basketball conference now um kansas at a 6 seed that's unnatural north carolina at a 10 seed that's unnatural you don't see a duke in here which is weird they're under 500 for the first time in 21 years i believe um so and, and the, I, i'll give them an excuse they're really they're really young but usually they are and for some reason they just can't seem to figure it out uh they lost to a miami team which is not very good this year um houston who is a group of five team as as a number two seed which is nice to see i think villanova i I i just haven't seen them play enough this year but i think two seed is maybe a little bit too high i don't know the overall strength of the big east isn't great um so they're, the, but they're probably hovering on two, three, four in that area. USC is a four seed.
1: That's intriguing Surprising. too. Surprising. There's a there's a lot of really interesting things in here, and there's a lot of shifting yet to go. uh I mean, And I always love the the conference tournaments, are I think uh, w- probably when I get the most interested. I love they're March. Great. You can feel the, great. you can feel the thaw. And then you feel the bracketology and you and you look at you start doing the brackets and it just March is just like it's like hope springs eternal yes. and last year it was brutally crushed. I know. And taken they, from they us. They waited.
0: The, the virus waited for the last possible <laughs> second. So frustrating. They waited. That would that the tournament last year would have been phenomenal as well. It man. would have been. Especially it. Champ Week too. It's
1: going to make this year's that much more exciting, I think. Yeah,
0: I, we're all excited for it about like 4 weeks until the actual Big Dance starts like three and a half until the conference tournament starts. And speaking of conference tournaments, I think we should probably mention this: the Big Ten tournament's been moved from the United Center to Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, uh, where the rest of the tournament will be played. In the state makes of a lot Indiana. of sense. So that makes sense for weird
1: for the rest of the Big Ten teams. Weird that the Big Ten made a choice that makes sense. <laughs>
0: <laughs> After this year, we we don't really know. Um, so that'll probably do it for us here on episode thirty of Husker Sports Weekly. Talked about Nebraska basketball, Bracketology, the women's volleyball team, who continues to prove that they are the fourth team in the country for a reason. Um, we talked about Nebraska football and their steps moving forward. So once again, thanks so much for listening. Go check out our website. We have a bunch of new stories up there. Three high school stories, a new Nebraska basketball story up there. And you can find our podcast up there as well. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Cornhuster Media and find our show on Spotify and, and anchor.fm for your listening uh Grant's favorite word pleasure um here on the show. So uh once again thanks so much for listening and we will see you next week. Go big red.